Amen. Good. Well, this month of October here at our church, we've been doing some things. We've been doing Seek First. And we handed out this uh, a couple of weeks ago. And if you didn't get your copy, it's a pictorial of our church, of where we're at today. Please pick one up and get it as well. And if you go on our app, the Boca Raton Community app, right at the top, if you hit Seek First, you can go see a video about it. It's kind of the video version of the pictorial and all the other things as well. We asked you to do four things this month, and we put them on a little bookmark of these four things. The first that we asked you for the whole month of October, and hopefully you don't stop in October, is to seek God daily. And we gave you a devotional, and we all worked on it for uh, 20 days of the month of October, committing to go through this devotional that we started back on Monday the 9th, but to also just seek God daily. The second thing was to seek time to pray, specifically praying for um, two people that may need to know the Lord that you are friends with or colleagues with or family members, but also to pray for other people. The third one is to seek meaningful conversations and to really make an effort to do it. It was interesting, um, last night Elizabeth and I walked downtown and had a little dinner and a few weeks ago we were at that same restaurant and the waitress tatted up with everything and we go, what's your name? She said, Abby. And so my wife, seeking meaningful conversation, goes, is that Abigail? Yes, that's my real name, but nobody calls me. So Elizabeth gives her a whole aspect of Abigail in the Bible. She said, I've never heard it. So what does Elizabeth do? Elizabeth buys her a Bible, marks it up, and takes it back to the restaurant two days later. Then we see her again. She's thanking us. So last night, she was our waitstaff. I mean, is that God or what? And uh, she goes to the people, this is the ones I'm talking to you about. (laughs) Now, here's the point. The point is this, someday she's coming to Christ. I totally believe it. And she might be in New York or Dallas or who knows where else, but she's gonna say, there was a couple in Boca Raton that cared for me. That's what seeking meaningful conversations is about. It doesn't mean you're always gonna lead someone to the Lord, but you're just moving their bucket down the line closer to Jesus. Someone will reap the benefit of it and not knowing that there were 20 or 30 of other people that were moving that lady or that man down that line. And that's what a a meaningful conversation is. Just don't be afraid to talk about Jesus, talk about the Lord, talk about your faith. Just do it. And I hope you continually do this. And then fourth was to seek to live generously. That's one of our core values. And that's what we've asked. And we actually gave you some specifics on how to be a part of some of the needs here at our church. And we handed you one of these cards and we asked you a couple of weeks ago to consider filling it out. We handed them out today and I'd like you to fill it out just any way you want. There's no place for a name. So if you just put your name and fill it out and then put it in the offering box when you leave, whatever God is talking to you about concerning Boca Raton Community Church, Get more involved, pray for it, give to it, add to my giving, start to give. Whatever it may be, it's between you and God. I'm not gonna say you need to do this and you need to do that. The other thing you can do is scan a QR code that is up here. So you say, I don't have a card or I'm just 
put up your phone, put it on camera mode, scan it. If you're home, you can do it as well, and that'll take you right to the page, and you can do the same thing on that page electronically that you can do. So let's just take a moment right now and pause and just fill this out. You've got it. Just take a moment. I'm just going to stand up here for about 60 seconds and fill it out, and then we can hand them in afterwards. So let's pray right now, and as we pray, just pray that God will allow you to do whatever you've written down. If you haven't written it down, do it later. If you don't have one of those, write it on a piece of paper or do whatever it takes and get it out there. They have more out in the lobby. The other is, if you would pray for Matthew, Cameron, and Francois, they leave tomorrow on a worldly trip. They're going to the Philippines and to Sri Lanka to work with our partners, and Elizabeth and I are going to work with our partners as well. For We're going for a very short time. They're going for about 10 days, and if you would pray for all of us as we travel and as we work with people around the world, we'd appreciate that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for each person in this room. I pray, Father, that you would uh, bless us in the way that you want us to be involved here. We thank you for this church. We thank you for this place. We thank you for allowing us to be in Boca Raton, a world-class city that needs you more than ever before. And I pray that you would allow each of us to be a part of that mission of yours here at Boca Raton Community Church. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. We're going to finish this study that we've been in and seek first in Luke chapter 18. 18, verse 18, real easy to remember, Luke 18, verse 18, and we're going to go until verse 30, and I've asked Elizabeth to read the story for us. Good morning, church family. Luke chapter 18, and we'll start at verse 18. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. 
And Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left a house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Amen. Thank you, Liz. You say, you've preached on this before, Pastor. You've preached on the rich young ruler. And you're right. It's one of the most confusing stories in Jesus' ministries because it says some things that are very dissident. Yet it's in all three of the Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And one of them, they call him, uh, Matthew calls him young, one calls him a ruler, one calls him rich, so we just say the rich young ruler. So, and we talk about that in this one, he's rich, but he's also young, he's also a ruler, and we'll get to that in a minute. But before we do, I want us uh, to think about something. This week was Reformation Day. Depending on your tradition, some of you don't celebrate it at all, which is fine, but October 31 or November 1, depending on your tradition, is considered Reformation Day. Some call it All Saints Day. There's a lot of names around it. But in it, it it, uh, reminds us and celebrates and commemorates the reality. uh, If you celebrate on October 31, what occurred on October 31, 1517, when Martin Luther put those theses on the door of the college church in Wittenberg and began a revolution, or we call it a reformation. The reformation actually started 150 years before in some other countries with Huss and other people and Tyndale and Covendale and some others, but this is the one that we all kind of focus in on. What's so important about the Reformation? And I want you to think of just five very simple thoughts on this. The Reformation brought together some things about our beliefs that had been scattered for about a thousand years in the church. Five very simple things, and they're called the solas, or think of solo, solo means one, solas is a Latin word meaning one or alone or only, like the only one, and there are five of these only one things. Can I give them to you? The first is faith. It's solas fide, F-I-D-E, like we get confidence, We have faith in someone. Con means with, with faith. If I have confidence with you, I have faith in you, that kind of thing, that's where that comes from. So the Reformation, there's only one faith, by faith alone. Number two is Scripture, sola scriptura, the Latin, but there's only one Scripture, and it's Scripture alone that tells us how we can come to Christ, to God. In other words, the writings of great people, men and women through the history are good, and maybe they are correct, but they do not take precedent above the Bible. 
And some churches had allowed that to either have equality, the writings of people with the writings of God, the scripture, or actually even circumvent it and be above it. And the Reformation said, no, you can have the writings of people, but they're all under here. So it's nothing wrong. People go, I can't read anything but the Bible. Yes, you can. Just don't put it at the same level as the Bible and judge it against the Bible. So as you're reading it, you judge it against the Bible. There are some great writers of all the denominations. I love to read them, but I always judge them with, and her, ladies and men, with the scriptures. So there's faith alone, scripture alone. Number three is solas Christos, which again is Christ alone. We sing songs of Christ alone. Our faith through the scriptures, taught in the scripture, is about Christ alone. It's nothing else. It's not Christ plus something else. That's key as we talk today about the rich young ruler. So you have faith, the scriptures, Christ. Number four, and this is the, a big word, sola gratia. It's grace, by grace alone. It's grace. So it's God doing the work through Christ. We have faith and that's the scripture tells us. Pretty simple. And we get those four things. If you've been a part of this church, that's all I talk about every week in some fashion or another. For by grace, we are saved through faith. It is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any of us should boast, right? That's the four right there. The scripture tells us that. But there is a fifth one that we forget about, And this is important, and thank you, Jeremiah, for reminding us of this fifth one. And I'll give you the Greek or the Latin word, solo deo gloria. Glory to God alone. Everything we do should be to him. There is an audience here, and the audience is not you. There is an audience in this room right now. The audience is him. You are the participants. I am the prompter. I am prompting you and me to have an audience with the king. And if my, if you think you're here to hear me, you're only going to hear this much, my friend. You want to hear something? Hear from God. I am here to promote your thinking, your heart, your expression towards God. These musicians are great, right? And you go, wow, they're good. I wish I could sing like that and play the guitar like that and play the piano like Brian. Well, maybe you do want to do that. That's fine. But realize they're not here to entertain us. They're not even here to worship for us. They're here to prompt us to worship God. Jeremiah is a very talented young man, isn't he? But we are not here to promote Jeremiah. We're here to promote God, the one whom he sang about. And that's the key to this. That is to the glory of God alone. And that's important in this story of the rich young ruler. So can we look at it? I'm just gonna give you four fairly simple thoughts because you've seen this story, you've heard this story, you've heard sermons about it, you've heard me talk about it. First of all, in verse 18, a ruler came, so before we learned he's rich, he's young, he's a ruler, and he asked a question, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There is no better question to ask. This young, wealthy, ruling class man asked the right question. A great question was asked. Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? 
No one is good except God alone. So Jesus begins to interact with him. He's not there chastising him for anything. He's saying, oh, this is good. You call me good. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked in the Old Testament in a couple of the chapters back then about good and who is good and who is not good and God is good. Talked about it, and if you were at uh, Mark Sangree's funeral, we talked about the Lord is good. He is confirming that the Lord is good. Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And then Jesus starts questioning him. You know, the commandments, do this, do that. You've read them there. So he's bringing the scripture in. Sola Scriptura. He's bringing the scriptures in. And and verse 21, we pick up the story, and he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said, one thing you need that you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. And this is where we really hate this story, isn't it? I love that honor your mom and dad, and I love all that good stuff, and what does it take to inherit eternal life? I'm going to come back to the sell everything in a minute, but what does this really mean? He's asking a question. So here's what I get a lot of times. Pastor, I don't get it. I'm questioning. Okay, good. What are the questions you are asking? Questions are good. It's okay to question God. This man questioned God directly, and he didn't get chastised. It's okay. But the thing is, he told him the answer. He told him the answer. And we're going to find out in a minute, he was extremely sad, the rich young ruler. So he understood the answer. So you have a question, you have an answer, and they have someone who understands the answer. You see, this is where people... The dissonance come. People go, I'm questioning God, and I just don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't get it. And I go back to that Mark Twain comment when he goes, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts of the Bible I do understand that bother me. You see, we do understand more than we let on. People do, they just choose not to do it. And we need to understand that as you have a friend or even you yourself are always asking questions and you feel you got to always answer the question, realize at some point, not everybody is agnostic. At some point, they're just not believing. And you go, and I've had to tell people, okay, you don't believe it. That's fine for you. I wish you would, but... Don't keep asking me questions. You know the answers. You just choose not to do it. There is people are making choices and we are afraid, oh, they're going to go to hell if they don't, you know, if I don't answer their questions. Please understand, Jesus Christ answered the question and he went away an unbeliever. So that gives me hope when I answer a question and someone goes away an unbeliever. Because why? It is not me who saves them. My pithy answer is not going to save anyone. Now, I need to do it with grace. I need to do it, and yes, I can answer questions, and I will answer questions, but at some point, you got to go, what else do you need to know? It takes faith. This is it. Well, I don't get it. Okay, well, faith. You got to help people understand and get them to the point of a faith question, not get them to a point of answering a question, which leads to another question, which then leads to another question, and you never get to the faith question. 
I hope that makes sense, but we see it here. If Jesus allows this man to walk away an unbeliever, of course, he can see his heart, which we'll talk about in a minute. Don't be worried if you work with somebody and work. So here's the key. The key is, I think prayer is more important than answering questions. Personally, that's me. Because I think the Holy Spirit can do more work than I can do. If you've got an hour to spend, spend a half hour answering questions and then go pray for that person. Don't keep answering questions. I hope you get that prayer is the way that's going to lead people to Christ. It's God who's going to do it. Answer the questions, but be careful with it. He wanted him in the end of verse 22 to come follow me, Jesus. Verse 23, this is key. We'll get back to the sell everything in a minute. Don't worry. I'm not going to avoid it. I picked the passage, so I'm not going to avoid it. If I wanted to avoid that whole sell everything, I wouldn't have gone to this passage. I would have done something, love your neighbors thing or something. <laughs> but when he heard these things, he was very sad, for he was extremely rich. Underline extremely. Do you know what the word extremely means? It's real simple. T-O-O. He was too rich. He was too rich. Last week we heard from Matthew. Thank you, Matthew, for teaching on Zacchaeus, and that was fantastic. But Zacchaeus was too short. Remember he said that? Now, some of you don't get this at all. Some of you are the ergonomic person. There is a, some, but someone in some windowless room somewhere has determined what the perfect person is here in the United States. It's the ergo, I think it's five foot 10, 170 pounds, you know, shoe nine and a half for men. Um, and guess what? I don't fit it. I'm too tall. I can go to the mall. There's 170 stores and not buy anything. It's easy for me to go to the mall and not spend money because there's nothing that fits me in the mall. There's not a pair of shoes. It's like, hello. Why? Because I'm, not the, I'm too tall. Now, those of you who make these very, I can't, I'm not allowed to use the word stupid in front of people, so I can't say stupid, because all my English teachers will go, you said stupid, and you can't say that in front of people. But any of you who talk to tall people and say how the weather is up there, <laughs> that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> you don't realize that when I used to fly, you know, I fly all over the world, I flew from Los Angeles to Hong Kong once standing up because I chose a Chinese airline to save an extra hundred bucks where the ergonomic person is five foot one and I'm six six. I stood and read The Hobbit. Remember the movie The Hobbit came out and The Lord of the Rings? So I thought, oh, I hadn't read The Hobbit yet. I read The Hobbit standing for 12 hours because I am not the ergonomic person because I am too tall. So here's a guy who's born into money, born into power, and he's too rich. He's too rich. Give the guy a break for a minute. You know, I think it's, uh, who was it, Jane Austen said, poor little rich boy, you know, um, about Mr. Darcy. It's the reality is he was rich. He can't help that he was rich. He was born into being rich. 
but he can help what he does with it. You see, there's some things we can't help. My height is my height. I can't help it. I can work. I can... It's crazy. I know what seats I can sit on in Southwest Plains and what I can't. And there's only about six seats I can sit on. And if I don't, I'm miserable for that miserable flight to Chicago or to the West Coast because I know. But I can't change my height. But there are some things we can change. And this man, you can't blame him for being wealthy. He was born into it because he was still young. He didn't have time to make it. He was born into it. So here's the point. He was too rich for his own good. I've been, uh, there's a new book out. I was looking at it and all. It's talking about people who are prodigies are sometimes too smart for their own good. You know, sometimes you're just too much. But we still have responsibility when you're too much. So you can't use the excuse, I'm too poor. I didn't have, my parents were not good enough. I was too this. I was not enough that. Those are the realities of life that have been dealt to you. Now you have to do something with it. And a couple of things you can't change. Height, maybe, and that's, you know, shoe size, whatever. These kind of things you can't change. But most else things you can change, but we choose not to change. And we just say we're in it. Well, I was born rich. He's saying, and I don't want to leave it. So let's go. So that's the second thing is this. Let me just, on the born rich thing, the ruler found value in what he had instead of in Christ. So be careful if you value what you have greater than you value your God. And it is easy to do. Let us not point the finger at the rich ruler. Let us realize that we value what we have, don't we? Then he goes on in verse 25. Oh, he makes this even worse, Christ says. How difficult it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. Okay, now this gets to the question. He makes a statement. Now it's hard for this wealthy guy to get into the kingdom of God. And then in verse 25, he gives the crux in 26. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard this said, then who can be saved? The third thing to remember is this. What's impossible for people is possible for God. So why a camel and why the eye of a needle? Okay, and I've heard a lot of people give me the wrong answer, and you're going to write me with the wrong answer and go ahead, but this one I know I'm right on, and that is this. Number one, the camel was the largest animal in the Middle East at that point. They didn't have elephants there. They didn't have rhinos, hippos, etc. So camel, the largest animal, and then the needle was the smallest human invention at that point. And the eye of the needle transformed. It's one of the great inventions of the ancient world because it allowed them to do fine clothing, tapestry, embroidery, etc. by being able to put thread, and it's not this big, obviously, it's very small, to put a thread through the eye of the needle and then do all those gorgeous gowns you see in the Greeks and the Mesopotamians and the Romans and the Jewish leaders. Do you see what I'm saying? That camel 
If you've ever been in a camel, been on a camel, he or she is huge. The eye of the needle, you can't even see if I'm holding one in my hand. And that has to get in this. And it's impossible, except what's possible, impossible for me and you is possible for God. And what he is saying here is there is nothing you can do to get you from this through this. In other words, there's nothing that you can do. And he makes an extreme statement to let us know, back to the Reformation, that it is faith alone. Faith alone in Jesus Christ is what gets you to thread through the eye of the needle. Or you want to call it the narrow road, as in the Sermon on the Mount. You want to name it anything else, but you can't do it. If the wealthiest guy, you know, the rich, they knew this guy. He didn't use his name because his name would have been useless to us today, but they knew him. He's the ruler. He had a hereditary thing. We don't know what he was ruling. He had it, had all this money. He was young, probably handsome, had an entourage around him, and he can't make it. Now, why is that important? Because it was people like him who helped the poor, The poor were helped by the rich. They did great things. They did the almshouses. They did the orphanages. They didn't call them that back then. But they did all the things to pay to help the poor people. There was no social security. It was the rich who helped the poor. So this guy was already helping the poor. And everybody knew that he was helping the poor. And so he's thinking, I'm sure, and I'm not him, but he's thinking, okay, I walk up and... Christ is going to say, oh, ruler, you're in already. You've done so much good in your young life. You're already in the kingdom. Let's go get the heathen. Let's go get the non-believers. Let's go. You're in. And the reality is everybody was shocked at this because only God can take the impossible and make it possible. It doesn't mean that being rich means you can't get to heaven. Abraham was rich. David was rich. Solomon was wealthier than we could ever imagine. Joseph of Arimathea was rich. Throughout the book of Acts, it's nothing but rich people helping start the new church in all these cities. It wasn't the poor people until you got to Macedonia. It was the rich people doing it. There's nothing wrong with wealth as long as you use it the right way. And how do you use it right way? It's after you get through the eye of the needle. Your wealth before means nothing. It's like a camel. Afterwards, after faith in Christ and salvation through grace, your wealth can be used to an enormous thing. Beforehand, it's philanthropy. Afterwards, it's God-given generosity. I can't tell the difference just looking. You know, I'm, I'm over here looking and someone gives a donation, someone gives a donation. We don't always know, but God knows, doesn't he? It's an amazing thing. Now, Peter, who was not given to being quiet too often, verse 26, those who heard it said, then who can be saved? And he said, in verse 27, that's Christ, what is impossible with people with man is possible with God. And Peter said, and this is important, and this is the part we leave out. We usually stop because it's not about the rich young ruler anymore. It's about the disciples who were poor fishermen from Galilee. Totally different group. Not poor. They were working class, but they would be poor in consideration to the wealth of this guy. 
Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said, truly I say, there is no one who has left home, wife, husband, brother, sister, parent, child, for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many more times in this time and in the age to come eternal life. There is a concept in the Old Testament called leave and cleave. Leave and cleave. It's in early part of Genesis and it has to do with the first marriage that Adam and or whomever, they leave their family, they cleave to their wife. There's a leaving and a cleaving. With Christ, there is a leaving and a cleaving. Now, here's the thing to remember. With the rich ruler, it was money. You gotta leave it and cleave to Christ. With Peter, who had no money, it was leave his family and cleave to Christ. Now, you go, wow, you gotta leave your family. Let me tell you what leave and cleave meant in the Old Testament. Abraham had a tent. Isaac left and cleft, if that's a word, leave and cleave. I don't know what the right word is. I already got my English teacher so mad at me, it doesn't matter. Isaac did the leaving and the cleaving, and where did he go? He went to the tent next door. The tents were probably adjoined by a third tent for dinner. They didn't leave and go a thousand miles away. They just left the tent and went to the next tent to start a new family. It's the way it is to this day. You go anywhere in the world except here where they get married and they go fly away for a thousand miles. Everywhere else in the world, people that can own a home, they have a home. And then if I've been in dozens of countries that do this, they have the rebar coming out of the roof. And I'll go, oh, are you building a second floor? No, not until my son gets married. I go, why? Because we're going to build a second floor for him. They leave and cleave. It's in the same house, but it's different. I learned this personally when my father-in-law, when I got married, I owned a home which is about a mile from here, and he lived about a mile from here the other way, so maybe two miles apart. He goes, why did you move so far away? (laughs) Five minutes. That was back when you could go across Boca in five minutes. It was like, I can be with you in five minutes, but you're so far away. But when he gave me his daughter, he said, she's no longer mine, she's yours. He didn't care if I lived next door, there was a leaving and a cleaving. When we come to Christ, we have to leave the old and cleave to the new. And you can still have your money and not cleave to it. You can still have your family and not cleave to it. You can have your business and not cleave to it. You can have your stocks, your education, name it all and not cleave to it. Or you can cleave to it and you haven't left it. So it's not about putting it all away. He knew, Christ knew that the rich young ruler couldn't leave and cleave. He had to get rid of it. He didn't tell all the other people to do that. He didn't tell them to get rid of all their wealth. He didn't tell David, get rid of your wealth. He didn't tell Solomon, get rid of your wealth. He didn't tell Joseph of Arimathea, get rid of your wealth. No, they left it, cleaved to Christ, and then used it 
for what Christ wants them to use. And that's the crux of this whole thing. Christ wants you, he's given you something. He's given you your life, everything around it, and he wants you to cleave to him and use the things that he's given you for his purposes, which is the fifth sola, all to his glory. Everything we do is to his glory. And that's what the story of the rich young ruler is. And that's what we want to be like here at Boca Raton Community Church. I'm not asking you to give all your money to us. That's not the point. The point is, is that what you do, you do for the glory of God and not for the glory of yourself. But whatever it is, do it. Why? And I close with this. A story I've told you many times. A story of my daughter, Jackie, who hates to be talked about, but she lives a thousand miles away, so I can talk about her. (laughs) She had moved out, right? Leave and cleave. She moved out that one mile away. Back then, we had a curfew. (laughs) You can only go, I'm only kidding. She moved a thousand miles away. But at the point she lived a mile away, she was out shopping one night came back, she was at a traffic light, went through it, and a guy comes flying through the other way and T-bones her. Now, you need to know what a T-bone is. That's when the front of a car hits your right here, the driver's side against it. Crushed the whole thing into her, and the car gets moved sideways across the road into a building. That's how much velocity this was. And the building she went into was a halfway house of men who were recovering from alcohol and drug abuse. It was a great place. Anyway, they come running out to help her. She was fine. I mean, she ended up having surgeries and all, but she was fine, and her head was fine, and the airbags worked. And she goes, call my father. And she's dazed, and so she's giving him the phone number because the, the phone got thrown somewhere, and she couldn't use her phone. And so it's now 11 o'clock at night, and I get a call from, and it says, West Virginia. And I go, I'm getting spammed at 11 o'clock at night. And so I click it off. I get another call from Pennsylvania. I click it off. I get another call. I think it was from Maryland. I click it off. I get another call from somewhere else. I click it off. And they all said, he's not answering. And so they find her phone. And she says, go to dad. They go to dad. And they're about to ring it. And the guy doing it says will he know who you are? Will he know who you are? And she said, yes, and she's somewhat dazed, so he calls. I go, yep, I'll be there. I was there before. The fi- this all happened very quickly. I was there before 911. Everything happened. At the end of it all, months later, I said to her, what did you learn through all this? And she said, you know my name. You know me. You are my father, and you know me. And these guys didn't even know their father. Can I just tell you, we can know our father. And it comes through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And at the end of the day, I want my father in heaven to say, well done, my son, my daughter. Amen? Amen. So, as we close, this is the invitation. Do whatever God tells you to do. Whatever it is, do what he tells you to do. 
If you don't know Jesus, he's calling you, come follow me. Afterwards, there'll be people up here, come forward, we're gonna sing a little song, we're gonna end, we're gonna pray out, come down and come follow Jesus. If you need to know how to be involved in this church, go out there and the people out there will help you. There's tables, there's information booths, there's all kinds of things. That's to, to learn how to work here at the church, help, volunteer. Down here is to learn about Jesus. We're a volunteer organization. It takes, as you heard, 200 people to run up on a rooftop. I thought it was the 15 people on the roof. No, it's 200 of us that takes every one of us. Thank you to each one of you who are part of this church. I personally want to say thank you and ask you to consider what you're going to do this coming year as a part of this church. Let's pray together.